All right, we are back, and welcome to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings. I would love to see you on Instagram, where you not only see behind the scenes of the show, but you can suggest questions and guests for future episodes. However, speaking of episodes, what a show we have in store for you today, as we welcome Kyle Porter to the hot seat. Now, Kyle is the founder and CEO at SalesLoft, the leading sales engagement platform delivering a better sales experience. To date, SalesLoft has raised over $75 million in funding from some of the best in the business, including Emergence, Insight Venture Partners, Tech stars and even LinkedIn. As for Kyle, he's led the team from four employees in 2014 to over 320 today, where they've also been awarded Atlanta's number one best place to work. Prior to founding SalesLoft, Kyle was the founder of B2B Camp, a conference focused on B2B revenue generating professionals. And before that, he was VP of marketing at NanoLumens. And I'd also want to say a huge thank you both to Jason Lemkin and Jackson Kahn for the intro to Kyle today. I really do so appreciate that. And thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS. Gigio. Entertainers rely on Gigio to help manage their events, especially the inquiries, bookings, and invoicing on the business side of entertaining. Gigio handles contracts, CRM, travel expenses, and much more so that the show can go on. Learn more at getgigio.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like Gigio did, visit wepay.com forward slash Sasta. And WePay's got this fantastic cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Again, that's wepay.com forward slash Sasta. And as a founder or operator, you're most important job is undeniably people operations, whether it be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent, and building a high-performing culture. And that's really why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, and it helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to, check this out, launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and run employee engagement surveys. And Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement so operators can really make sure their top performers are happy and Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive that incredible offer. That's lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. Okay, but it's now time for the show and I'm very, very excited for a special one here with Kyle Porter, founder and CEO at SalesLoft. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Kyle, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. A big hand to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Kyle. Thanks, Harry. It's an honor to be here. Congrats on an incredible podcast. I know these are hard to pull off. You've done it right. And for those listening today, you're in the right place. We're going to have some fun, and you're going to hear some ideas you haven't heard before. Well, you are far too kind. I promise to pay you a huge amount later, but I do want to kick (laughs) off today, Kyle, with a little on you. So tell me, how did you make your way into the world of SaaS and come to found SalesLoft? I've loved sales ever since I was a kid. I sold everything you could baseball cards, comic books, pogs. I might have been the best Beanie Baby sales kid in my hometown, but most importantly, I love doing sales right. I loved leading with empathy and sincerity, seeing the look on someone's eyes when I brought them value and made their life better. It just got me so exciting. And so you know, after college, I started using technology to help my sales. So I was hacking around for the first five years, scrapers, crawlers, news engines, checking the jobs companies were posting, using all these improvements to deliver a better experience to customers. And that got me excited to start entrepreneurship. So I started a 
little club in 2005 uh, here in Atlanta. And we'd bring folks who wanted to be entrepreneurs in the room and talk to them. And I'd look around the room and see all these capable people that had all these ambitions and goals and opportunities. And I decided I wanted to start a company to change lives and create a journey for other people. So I started interviewing, kind of like what you're doing. I started interviewing entrepreneurs, reading every book I could, meeting everyone in the venture game. And I met a gentleman named David Cummings. And David's a founder and CEO of a company called Pardot, which later became acquired by Exact Target and is now the marketing automation arm for Salesforce. And David had this different outlook on starting a business. And so I knew he was the guy that I wanted to start a company with. So we sat down for lunch. And this is how I opened up the meeting, by the way. We hadn't ever met before. And I said, David, I want to start a company and I want you involved. And his answer was, okay, let's do it. So that was the beginning. <laughs> we didn't have a full business plan. We didn't have a business name. I just started working in the Pardot office with a laptop and we started the company. And so we launched the first iteration of Salesloft in late 2011. I joined the Techstars program the following year. We ended up a year later starting the business over from scratch. We can unpack more of that. And then we built a data product that we took from one to seven million ARR in about 20 months. And then we scrapped that product completely and built what is now Salesloft. And that's grown even faster. We'll end this year near 40 million ARR with over 120% net expansion. And it's been a wild ride. I mean, there's so many things for me to unpack there. Absolutely. As you said about discussing the transitions, I do want to take the interview in a couple of different segments today. I'm going to call it PPS being products, people and space. Does that sound good? Yeah, fantastic. So starting on the products itself, uh, it's easy to look, as you said, at Salesforce today, 40 million ARR and think it's all up and to the right. But I spoke to Nicole at Textiles and she mentioned maybe some of the earlier pivots and the elements that weren't working so well. So I want to start with that. And with the benefit of hindsight, how do you think about the pivots today? Well, you know, we made some big mistakes. And by we, I mean me. I made some big mistakes early on. And so a year into the company, we had gone through the Techstars program. We actually had, you know, we had won some awards. We had had some notoriety. The blog was successful, but we hadn't built a product that companies would pay for and that was adding significant value to the problems they had. And so I started the business over from scratch, actually kind of went crawling back to David Cummings after burning through a quarter million of his money. And I said, hey, this thing's still real, but we had to let go of the entire company and start over. And so really, I think the big three things that I learned in that first reboot is what I called it was the importance of organizational health and aligned values. So we had people that were part of the team that didn't see life the same way that I did. They didn't see how to treat people the same way that I did. They didn't care about the customer the same way that I did. They had great resumes and great experiences, but we just didn't match up. These journeys are tough and you got to be in in these journeys with people that you want to be working with and aligned with. So that was the first thing. The second was, is that I had come from marketing and sales my whole life. And that had taken precedence in the time that I had allocated to the business, the intentional investment. And so I realized that product and technology needed to play equal, if not more important role in the business. So we had to make that shift. And then the last one was I had David as a mentor and advisor and investor, but no one in the trenches executing the business with me. And I wanted a partner in there. And so after the reboot, I ended up hiring a gentleman named Rob Foreman, who is really a co-founder of the sales loft as it is today. And he is my partner in this business. And it's just been an incredible journey, putting values first, making sure that product and technology are at the same level of investment that marketing and sales has, just doing everything with a shared vision and values. I do have to unpack a couple of elements there. In terms of that organizational alignment, I think it's very easy to say with hindsight, but it's super tough to say in the moment. How do you, and I saw your tweet about kind of, you know, it's easy to measure IQ, it's easy to measure data, but how do you measure kind of that internal courage, that internal culture fit with a candidate when you're interviewing them? Are there any kind of indicators or questions that you'd like to ask? Well, I'll tell you, up first, it was interesting for me because as I was going in this journey of becoming a CEO before even starting Salesloft, the entrepreneurs who were most impressive to me, the ones that I learned from and I cared about the most were the ones who kept saying values and organizational health are the most 
important things in your business. And ironically, a year in, I still hadn't put it to play the way that they had said, because it's so hard when you're trying to build product market fit, you're just going so fast and you're trying to solve these problems along the way. So the first step was like, I knew it and I still didn't do it. So it's just that important. And every day since that day, really, I've learned that it's more important than I thought it was yesterday. So tomorrow I'll wake up and it's going to be more important to me tomorrow than it is today. And so that's, it's important, I think. But then the next thing is you just have to really codify it because a lot of entrepreneurs, especially founders, they're not super process driven. They're kind of the wild west gun show, right? And for me, I'm kind of variety is the spice of life guy. But what I've done is I've had to put frameworks in place to keep me in the motion of routine will set you free. And so we put in frameworks around organizational health and it starts with a purpose. Purpose is why do we exist? It's this giant transformational idea of what we're even here to do in the first place. The next question is how will we behave? And that's what values are. When I'm out of the office, how does my staff behave? Values are when someone on my team will tell someone else on the team, Hey man, that's not the way things are done around here. Right. And so we've codified that we've codified, you know, what the business definition is. We've codified what the strategic anchors are for the company and what we plan to do this period. So I think putting a system and framework around it is really important. And one framework that works really well is the simplified one page strategic plan. If you just Google search that, you'll find it. So I think that's the most important element of it. I love the elements of kind of codifying it there. You did mention obviously the pivot and then also the kind of the search for product market fit. Your kind of investor and mentor, David Cummings, asked me a question the other day and it's how long do you really think it takes to find product market fit? Is it two years, Harry? Is it four years? I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this and how long it really took you to maybe get to like a million in an ARR and, and have that realization of product market fit. Yeah. So if we started the company late 2011, the first million dollar product was launched in mid 2013. So it took over a year and a half to even get it launched. But then that product did hit a million the next summer. So what is that? Two and a half years from founding date. So mm-hmm. good long journey, right? And then we launched a brand new product and we hit a million in less than a year after that one launched. And that's now what the core flagship of Salesoft is. But if you take the core flagship product of Salesoft, it took three and a half years to get to a million ARR. Three and a half years later, it's where it is today. Can I ask you a question there? You mentioned the getting to seven million in ARR and then pivoting. What's the thinking behind that? Because that seems like a storming runaway success at seven million ARR. Well, we did have a lot of growth, but it was on a product that didn't match up with the vision for the company. We built a data product and many of your listeners might've been customers of this product. And I bet you their customers are products that are like it today because it's had a lot of offshoots. But we built a platform that would allow you to build accurate and targeted lists of contacts from the internet. But what we didn't like is that companies were using those big lists of contacts and dropping them in the marketing automation spam blaster and just hammering out their customers. And it wasn't the way to sell with sincerity. And so what we did is we built a platform that basically mimicked the best sellers in the world. The best sellers were taking their target accounts. They were identifying the right contacts at those accounts, and they were laying out a cadence or a rhythm for all their communications, phone calls, emails, social touch points, other types of communications. They were executing on that cadence, and then they were converting those customers over, right? And it was a better way to do things. So the first version was not aligned with values as much as the second version. It was a product that we didn't fully own the technology behind because it was using internet data to kind of source information. And it didn't have the same stickiness. It didn't have the same retention. So we decided to make a big shift. And I think we announced the shift when we were about 4 million in the old product. And it got all the way up to seven before we just said, hey, it's over. And then we put all our eggs in the basket of what is now sales off today. It's a tough decision. We ended up doing a tombstone and playing that song, Dust in the Wind. It was awesome. But, uh, you know, big company-wide communication. Some salespeople didn't make it to the next level, you know. But all in all, it was a wonderful decision for the business. And I'm glad we made it. And I don't think we would have been able to build the platform that delivers so much value for the customers today had we not killed the old one. No, I mean, speaking of the transition, I was actually chatting to Jason Lemkin just an hour ago about the transition for you. And he asked, what 
were the core lessons learned from migrating from a prior product and platform to a new one? Yeah, so I think it starts with communication. We talked about the purpose and vision of the company, and it was very important for me to make sure that everyone in the company understood that. This is why we're making the decision. We're not making the decision to try to hit a number next quarter. We're not trying to hit, hit a number next year. We're not trying to raise a round of capital. We're trying to build a business that's going to be a legacy company. We're trying to make a big, big impact and revolutionize the sales industry, right? And if we're going to do that, we have to look out long-term, and here's why this makes the right sense for the business. So that was the biggest, most important piece. And then there's a lot of logistical things that follow that. But that's, you know, all that process stuff can come when people are motivated, energized, enthusiastic, and see the vision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of speaking of the, the change in product and platform there, another change that's subsequent is the buyer and the buyer persona change. What were the takeaways from seeing that change with the change of platform? Yeah, there's a little bit of the buyer change, but you know, I think what happened is if you go back, well, let's say five years ago, our profession of sales realized that sales was changing. And so companies bought all this technology. They bought power emailers and marketing automation systems that would blast the universe. They bought these dialers that would call 20 people a second. They put this technology in place, but what happened was reps weren't getting any better. You know, it still took reps the same amount of time to onboard. It still they were still hitting the same percentage of quota. And when you look back on it, of course there were some changes happening in sales, but what was even bigger was the change that was happening for buyers. You know, buyers today they're more educated, they're more informed than ever before. They've got big problems that they need solved and sellers hold the keys to those problems, but there's so much noise, destroyed inboxes and sincere messages. And what we saw was that the best sellers were rising above that noise to deliver their customers with a better experience. And they did that by harmoniously blending the science of sales, which is the repeatability, scalability process side with this empathetic side of human first, understanding of value, you know, solving problems. And so really that's the whole key to great sales. And so, you know, I saw from your notes before you talked about the message of buying is hard and that's the truth. Like, you know, selling is hard, but buying enterprise solutions is even more difficult. You know, we like to say around the office things like running a marathon is hard, but buying enterprise solutions is even harder. So we focus on that. That's really what the pivot was all about is how do we enable our customers to deliver a better experience to their customers? And then that became the place where we focused our product attention, not just on our users, but on the experience they were having with their customers. And that's what we built for. No, absolutely. I mean, I do want to slightly transition away from the product to the team behind the product. Sales have seen this phenomenal growth over the years. So from intense scaling of team to kind of a change within the exact team, I'd love to start on the core exact team. How you thought about David Cummings as the mentor and then kind of the hiring of your co-founder alongside that. And what was that decision-making framework around that? Yeah, like I mentioned in the first version, I was really at it alone. I mean, David was a great mentor and advisor, but in the trenches alone. And I wanted someone there with me. And so Rob has just been incredible and he is really the yin to my yang. So, you know, where I'm focused on the long-term vision, sales and marketing, delivering value for customers, organizational health and clarity, he is just such a process-oriented, framework-driven, intentional executive. And he's one of the best leaders I've ever known. And so really that is the foundational elements for the leadership team at SalesLoft. Rob and I pretty much operate the executive team almost like a two in the box model. So he's the COO and I'm the CEO. And then we then have a leadership staff. And I'll tell you that the number one session of extraordinary executives is having cohesion at the leadership team. People always talk about strategic differentiation here and better marketing or better innovation on the technology side. And all those things are important and they're right to focus on, but they're not near as valuable as some of these organizational health elements that really drive the business in continuity. So we say, okay, this leadership team is going to be cohesive. They're going to work together with deep levels of trust. We're going to set direction together. They're going to develop plans. We're 
going to entrust the ownership of those plans to them, and then they're going to execute faithfully on these plans. And so for us, that's just been the biggest piece and focusing on that cohesion. I mean, and it goes down to these really interesting areas. Like my executive leadership team, every single one of them knows about the childhood insecurities and fears that each other has. And it makes it where it's really special because we can get into these difficult conversations where we want to run fast and overcome all these hurdles. And we can have these conflict situations and we can get past them because of the relationships that we have. Can I ask you a question? In terms of the transition, I've heard many founders on the show say that exact teams churn continuously every two to three years. Aaron Levy's kind of supported that statement. Do you agree with kind of the management level churn throughout a SaaS company's life cycle? Or do you think actually some people can really scale with the company throughout? I think there's both. I mean, if I look at the leadership team, the first important thing is to separate the people from the challenges. So we have boxes at SalesLoft that represent things like sales, things like marketing and technology or operations and services or people, right? And those boxes are filled by a leader. And then my job is to make sure that the right person's in that box and to make sure that the people that are in that box today are developing. So I'm, I'm developing executives or I'm putting them in the box. And I think that's the biggest thing is some develop and some grow and some scale and some do need to be leveled up. And we've done both. Can I ask you a question? In terms of assembling that core exec team, when did you think now's the right time? Often founders kind of have this question of, is it a 10 million ARR? How did you think about the right time to really kind of professionalize that top level structure? I think we're always building on it, right? I mean, from day one, there's a team there and, you know, is it the same team as today? Absolutely not. But it's just always getting better. It's always getting more clarity around it. It's always getting more attention from me. It's always getting more higher level executive leaders that are either developed to that level or hired to be at that level. So I think it's just a continuous focus. But the difference today is that we have people in all those places that are better than those things than I am, that have way more experience than I have, that have way more wisdom and confidence and recall uh, than I do. And I think that was a shift when that happened. The other super interesting element, I'm sorry, I'm so going off schedule, but there's too many interesting things (laughs) for me to touch on. But you mentioned kind of the developing talent versus filling the box. How do you think about internal promotion versus external hiring? And how do you approach that today? Yeah, there's got to be a blend of both. You know, one of the things that we do, Rob particularly does an incredible job of it, is we've created a leadership program here at SalesLoft, and it's in its third year already. And this leadership program is professionally managed and professionally driven through the organization for folks to come in and develop as leaders. And so it's got all sorts of programs around delegation, empowerment, listening, planning. There's just all these elements of it. And we execute on that pretty aggressively. So that's one piece. And then the other is it's just, you know, it's kind of a little bit of both. And then when you're recruiting, you want to go out and get great people. And a lot of that is punching above your weight class, you know, finding people who will fit, who would be attracted to the organization in 12 months and showing them the vision of how you're going to get there. So we spend a lot of time recruiting and and recruiting is selling and it's evaluating. And and so that's been part of the fun as well. When you do bring in an external candidate and do recruit them in for that box, how do you prevent existing employees who maybe feel that they were ready for the role? How do you prevent them from being disengaged or disincentivized? It's a tough balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think done a pretty good job there. I think we've certainly learned along the way. And I don't know if you can totally prevent it, but I think what is important is to show what is necessary of that functional area and what is expected of it in the future. And then, you know, as an executive, it would be hard to have someone in each of those functional areas that all needed to be developed and it was their first time doing it. So I think that communicating that and showcasing how the wisdom and recall of a leader who's been there and done that is going to not only be best for the organization, but also would be best for them to help them level up and take their career to the next level. We recently hired a CFO 
CFO and have had a VP of finance for a long time. And, you know, I got to the point where I said, Hey, Derek, you know, I can't take you any further. I have no more CFO knowledge and experience. So let's bring a champ in here who's been there and done that. And not only will this company go to the next level, but so will you. And he took it well, you know, he's taken it very well. It's, it's difficult. I think, you know, the more the person puts kind of ego in the equation, the more challenging it is, but the way we set up our core values, you know, ego gets squashed out pretty quick here. No, absolutely. I, I do want to kind of discuss the broader team itself, because obviously sales offers grown immensely. A question from Nicole at Techstars, what's the biggest difference between leading a small team versus a large company for you? You know, there's this book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's got these just incredible elements of the things that you've done before that if you keep doing them, you're, you're not going to achieve your goals. And it's things like winning too much. It's things like an excessive need to be me. And, and for me, it's it's always been like who I am today and what I do today is different than what I did yesterday. And actually, I'm going through one of these right now where, you know, we have this incredible executive leadership team. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys don't need me anymore. And if I sat and wallowed <laughs> in that, it could be really difficult. But what that means is now it gives me an opportunity to level up and exhibit what's my best and highest use of my time, right? So now instead of jumping on as many sales calls as I used to before we had a CRO, now I'm working to make sure that the CRO and the CMO are in a cohesive relationship and that they're aligned and that they're also aligned with finance, with product, and that now I can go speak to a different executive or a different customer or go kind of swing for the fences on a prospect that we normally wouldn't have got a shot with. And so I think that's what's important is like never being set in your own ways or the things that you drive value from or the things that you get your confidence from and, and just just always stretching and challenging yourself to be better. Can I ask, in terms of, you mentioned the word challenge there, many founders say on the show that the hardest challenge of being CEO of a rapidly scaling firm like Salesloft is having to scale their communications. Would you agree with this? And um, what's your biggest challenge to you as you've been scaling? It's interesting. You know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I wasn't always a person of routine and I put some communications routines in at Salesloft that I've just held so strongly to, and they've been really, really valuable for the growth of the business. So I'll give you an example. I'm actually looking on my desk right now and I've got a bounded copy of a book that says exact target five years of Friday notes from 2009 to 2014. It's an email from Scott Dorsey, who was a CEO and founder of exact target every single Friday for five years to the company. And I actually have been sending an email to the entire company and the investors and our mentors every single Sunday since 2012. So six years, I've never missed one. And every single time I email the company and I say, I open it up with a little kind of vision. Here's where we are. Here's what's happening in the marketplace. I get into some specifics about what our customers are doing and congratulate them on their successes. Talk a little bit about our staff, who's exhibiting the core values of the company, show some metrics, and then end with a challenge for us to be better. And I've been doing that for, you know, like I said, six years. And so that's been a great medium to communicate with the entire company. And people look forward to kind of seeing that and understanding that. We also do a weekly all-hands meeting. And the weekly all-hands meeting has a rhythm, has different presenters, it has a customer spotlight, it has the sales off star who's, well, been recognized for award, you know, for their core values. It's got a product uh, show and tell, and it's got a ask me anything Q and A with me and Rob at the end. And we do it every week. So we do that. And I have a stand up every day as well. So 9:45 AM for 10 minutes, the executive leadership team comes in my office and we talk about what we did yesterday, what we're doing today and what roadblocks or challenges we have weekly leadership meeting. We really have this stuff kind of queued in. And that's been one of the things that if we didn't have it, it'd be really difficult. Can I ask you, so communication, you thoroughly seem to have nailed there in terms of that framework and 
and structure. What is your biggest challenge with the scaling for yourself? It's the processes that make their way all the way through the organization. So I think, you know, that's communication, but there's even deeper levels of communication. So for example, we hired a strong sales enablement leader at the beginning of the year. And when he came in, the difference between the sales staff's education before and after was night and day. And so we've got all kinds of things like that. One of the things we're working on right now is empowering the whole organization to hire and recruit like we hire and recruit as executives. And so, you know, hiring has always been really important to me, but now I've got levels of managers that are super involved in hiring. Do they know the same things that we've learned? Have they been through the same experiences that we've been through? And so that's a big area of focus today is bringing that just like when we brought sales enablement in. And now when a new message goes out, it gets distributed to the team really successfully. We're doing the same thing with hiring right now. So that's an area that we're working hard on. So we've covered the product. We've covered the people within the organization. I do want to take a step out a little bit and talk about kind of the macro and the meta landscape before we move into the quick fire round. And it is an intensely competitive space that Salesforce has successfully stood out in and made a name for itself in. So Carl, what are the lessons to winning in an intensely competitive space? And and where do you think many go wrong? Yeah, you know, it's difficult to speak broadly, but I can speak about our own experiences. I think one, we're happy that it is a competitive space because that means that it's a giant market that cares a lot about what we're doing. So the TAM is incredible and that makes for great opportunity. The thing that I think we found that's been really helpful is, you know, I mentioned kind of that DNA of sales from day one. And that was just, I couldn't even help having that. That was just something I was born with, right? And I've been thinking about selling, I mean, 1996 Olympics came to Atlanta. I was selling Olympic pins to everybody, right? It's just been part (laughs) of my DNA. And so from the founding of the company through the whole journey, that just tight connection with the seller, that tight connection with the revenue generation team has been really helpful as a DNA that has set us apart. So I'd say that's number one. Number two would be, like I said, these organizational health and values. In his book, The Advantage, Patrick Lencioni interviews a CEO of Southwest and says, you're crushing your numbers. You're doing things with values at the center of everything. Why have your competitors not done this? It seems easy. Why have your competitors not done this? And he says, frankly, I think they believe it's beneath them. And I really believe that. You know, When we talk about alignment, values, cohesiveness at the organizational level, the values of customer first, of team over self, of bias to action, you know, focused on results, glass half full. When we talk about those, I don't think anyone else cares about them, you know, like we do. And it makes a huge difference for the customer and it makes a huge difference for being able to innovate to deliver them value. So I think that's a big one. And then, you know, you've got to have this ability to always evolve and always get better and better and better. And the relationship that I have with my COO, uh, the relationship we have with our investors, you know, I couldn't imagine any better investor team. Our investors, they never tell me what to do and they're always there to help. And they always think big, right? I've got this guy, Tom Noonan on our board. He sold his company to IBM for a couple billion dollars. And every single time I'm in a meeting with this guy, I walk away thinking bigger than I ever thought before. And so I think we've got some great people around us. We've got great DNA. We're focused on the right things. And that's been really helpful for us to win in the marketplace. And just staying so close to the customer really means innovation and means that we can solve their problems. I mean, that is a unique set of investors, not telling you what to do and always helping. I mean, I, I, you struck gold there, Kyle, I tell you. But I do want to finish today. And before we move into the quick fire, I have to discuss the location element, not based out of Silicon Valley, <laughs> but based out of Atlanta. So yeah. tell me, what are the honest pros and cons of being in Atlanta <laughs> versus San Francisco? Uh, great question. Well, I, I love Atlanta. Born and raised here. Went to school here at Georgia Tech. Lived in other places, been to other places, you know, been everywhere that I can. And But this is home for me. And, you know, Atlanta's incredible. We've got just amazing talent. I look out my window and I see Georgia Tech, which is one of the best engineering schools in the world. Uh, we got big brands here, Coke, Home Depot, UPS, Delta. I don't know if you knew it, but the New York Stock Exchange is actually owned by an Atlanta company. The CEO is a friend of mine. He spoke at our conference. So, you know, there's 
a lot of good stuff happening in Atlanta. I would say that for salespeople, engineers, designers, product managers, customer success managers, it's probably one of the best places in the world to hire. Now, for executive leaders, especially in SaaS and especially in high growth, there's not a lot of those. So our head of marketing, our CMO, our CRO, our head of services, they all live in other cities and they travel here all the time and they go to some of our other locations. But of course, we love New York. So we have an office in Bryant Park. We love San Francisco. So we have an office downtown right next to LinkedIn. And you know, and we're growing this thing to be a global business. It's not like we think about, hey, we want to compete in the Atlanta Olympics. We're competing in the global Olympics. And so I think that that'd be pros and cons is it's tough to get exact leaders. It's tough to get financing. All of our financing is remote. The only two institutions we took money from are, you know, not in Atlanta. In fact, I mean, Jason Lincoln is one of the first investors in sales loft. And I cold emailed him because of just, you know, how special he was and the things he was doing. And I wanted to be involved and around it. And so, you know, when he invested, Emergence Capital invested, so that was San Francisco. Our Series C was uh, Insight Venture Partners out of New York. So yeah, we, I mean, we don't consider ourselves locked into Atlanta from a kind of operations perspective, but headquarters is definitely here in our hearts here. I love that. And I didn't know about you emailing Jason. That's great to hear. But I do want to move into my favorite element, I have to admit, of any interview being the quick fire round, Kyle. So I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Perfect. Okay. So is it important to have early champions? If so, how does one get them? Absolutely. You got to pick the right ones. The right ones are the ones who share your audience. And then I believe the best way to get champions is to show them one dimensional value without expecting anything in return. Love it. What an answer. How's having kids changed your perspective on work? Got a four-year-old and a one-year-old, Brooklyn and Clark, shout outs. Having Brooklyn and Clark makes my work more important. So we're on a mission here and I want my kids to see the importance of intentionality and purpose. I believe we were built by our creator to work hard and serve others. And so I want them to see that. Tell me a moment in your life that served as an inflection point and maybe changed the way you think. <laughs> well, I was born with a rare blood disease and wasn't expected to live past infancy. All my childhood, I was fighting in and out of ERs and it taught me a, a deep level of resilience and how to fight. So that was born into me, you know, from the earliest days. And, you know, I, I couldn't talk about a moment in my life that changed me without talking about that moment. Wow. I didn't know about that. That's incredible. <laughs> when I say success in SaaS, who is the embodiment of this to you? Who's the first person that comes to mind? Scott Dorsey. He was the founder and CEO of Exact Target. They took the company public. They were acquired by Salesforce later in the journey. I mentioned that I've got a book on my desk that talks about the notes that he wrote to his team. And he's been an incredible mentor and just someone I really, really look up to. When they filed for IPO, they said the core differentiator of the company was their values. And I can relate to that. Yeah. No, I had Scott on the show. He's fantastic. Uh, I do want to finish then with what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of the sales loft journey? A tricky one. I think I would have wanted to know the characteristics that I have and the positives and negatives that those can have on others. So being very driven means I can drive too fast sometimes. And those kinds of things, working on myself has been some of the biggest evolution of running this business. And if I had the maturity that I had today, you know, back when we started the company, who knows what would have happened. Carl, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so excited for the coming years with Sales Loft. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Harry. Send Jason my best. And I really appreciate what you're doing. And it's been an honor. I mean, such an incredible guest to have on the show there and Carl, and such exciting times ahead with Sales Loft. If you'd like to see more from Kyle, you can on Twitter, at Kyle Porter. Likewise, I'd love to welcome you behind the scenes here on Sasta. You can do that on Instagram, at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. That really would be awesome. But before we leave you today, and thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS, Gigio. Entertainers rely on Gigio to help manage their events, especially the inquiries, bookings, and invoicing on the business side of entertaining. 
video handles contracts, CRM, travel expenses, and much more so that the show can go on. Learn more at getgigio.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like Gigio did, visit wepay.com forward slash Sasta. And WePay's got this fantastic cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Again, that's wepay.com forward slash Sasta. And as a founder or operator, your most important job is undeniably people operations, whether it be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining top talent, and building a high-performing culture. And that's really why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies. And it helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to, check this out, launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and run employee engagement surveys. And Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement, so operators can really make sure their top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive that incredible offer. That's lattice, L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. As always, your support means the world to me, and I cannot wait to bring you a very special episode with Michael Katz, founder and CEO at M Particle, next week.